I'm Howard Hale. Thanks for joining me for today's edition of the Horseman's Corner. With us on the program today, Dr. Steve Peters. He, along with Horseman Martin Black, have put out some information, a book and a video called Evidence-Based Horsemanship. Explain what you're trying to do there. And basically, it's just the use of, of science to inform you how to interact with your horse in ways that we know the horse's brain works. Okay, give us some of uh, your background then, how you got to that point where you're uh, looking at how the horse's brain works. Good enough. Uh, I'm a neuroscientist, and so uh, I ran programs for humans. Uh, So I started some clinics in hospitals in Utah, uh, hospital-based clinics, looking at dementia largely, but um, every day, I'd be looking at brain scans and assessing brain functioning. I always had horses in my life. And, you know, in, in medicine, if you do anything, it's got to be evidence-based, or the insurance company's not going to pay for it. So, in other words, you've got to prove that it works, or you can't just decide, well, I'll try this and I'll try that. When it came to the horse world, I would ask experts a question, and I could ask five experts and get five different answers. They're all over the board. And uh, so I thought, this doesn't make sense to me. And then some stuff was really silly. You know, I'd ask some person, well, why do you think your horse does that? And they'd say, oh, they're a left-brain introverted Sagittarius. I got all the charts to prove it. After a while, it just got to be uh, so confusing for people that what I decided to do, I only had seven horses at the time. And in science, to say anything, you need a large group. So I had to find somebody who had lots of observations of horses and had lots of horses. So uh, I hooked up with Martin Black. And Martin Black's a fifth-generation cowboy, pretty well-known. He had colt-starting businesses where he'd start 500 colts in a year. So he grew up around horses, observations of racehorses, Mustangs, million-dollar horses. You know, you name it, he's... He's seen it and worked with those horses. So we just started to compare notes. And I was, yeah, I started to dissect out horse brains and look at what, were, what all the connections were and how they worked. Martin would say something like, a lot of people think this. And I said, but Martin, that can't really happen because the horse doesn't have that part of its brain to be able to do that. For example, horses don't have much of a frontal lobe. And that's the area you'd use for... Uh, thinking and planning ahead and strategizing. So that horse cannot say, well, I'm going to pull one over on this guy and then head back to the pasture and have a good laugh with my buddy. You know, horses are in the here and now pretty much. You know, no horse is saying, "Uh, I'm going to take this flake of hay and stick it under the bush here until Tuesday and come back for it. When Martin and I got to, to working, I would say something. He said, how do you know that? And I'd say, well, neurologically, the horse tells me that. that. That's how the horse's brain would work. He said, you know what? I don't know anybody that knows that other than my talks with Tom Dorrance to have an understanding of how, how the horse does that. So we put our information together, my scientific base and his uh, empirical observation, his observations of thousands of horses. After we started really looking at this, it got pretty exciting with all the information we were collecting. He's the one that said, you know what, we ought to write a book. You just can't keep all this information, you know, from people. They need, they deserve to, 
to look at their horses in a, in a new way, and uh, it benefits the rider and it benefits the, the horse. So that's kind of how we started on our book. What is some of the most important things in your view that you've found? Well, one is that horses have an optimum range, just like humans do, of comfort in which they can learn. Now, if they're too comfortable, they're in a part of their nervous system where they're just not going to pay attention. You know, they're going to look over the fence at their buddies. They're going to graze. They're going to have their heads down. A little bit of arousal, what we call sympathetic arousal, well, make them alert. And, but if you go beyond that, you're going to start to kick in self-preservation, and they'll tune you out. Well, I think for years what we did is that uh, we didn't pay much attention to that. And as the you know, like Granddad said, don't let that horse win. You know, uh, go back there and make them do it. That horse just pretty much it did it, but it tuned you out, and it really wasn't learning. And like Tom Dorrance had said, you know, you turn out those horses after you've had that bad experience, and they're twice as bad when you pick them up, you know. And so Martin got in the habit of really saying, okay, this horse is not really where I want him right now, and it seems like we're reaching a point of diminishing returns. Heck, I'll just pick this up in the morning. I think that the biggest thing that we don't do is we rush these horses, and oftentimes that sends them up into their nervous system, but they can't focus. And we just want to accomplish the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And we don't give them time to, to stop and process what we're trying to teach them. So that waiting and letting the horse come down and start to lick and chew and process what, and, and now research we, where you, we uh, can hook up EEGs and other things. You know, the horses now have, are able to tell us, yeah, you know, I, I'm really not holding that information when you when you send me way up there. So giving horses time and helping horses to feel safe is big. They're, they're prey animals. They consider everything a threat, a predatory threat, unless proven otherwise. So some part of our job is just helping them to be comfortable and showing them that everything is not a, not a threat. Otherwise, they, they check out on us. And you know those horses, you know, they'll do something and they check out on you, and you think they're processing the information, and then you get on, and one day they explode on you. You say, where did that come from? Well, it's because we haven't given them enough time to, to build that, that window of comfort. Sometimes we, we do the opposite. You know, there's some people that don't want to get their horse out of their comfort zone, so the horse is just not paying any attention to them. It's eating grass, et cetera. And that's like the kid in the back room throwing spitballs and looking out the window. So we have to have some degree of uh, sympathetic arousal. We have that, and, and typically that's when the head just comes up above the withers and they put their ears on you and they're focused on you. That's really what you want, and you just keep bringing that horse back to that spot of attention, and we know that's an optimum range at where the horse is, is processing what you're trying to tell them. If you go much beyond that, do you run into some problems? Yeah, that's the, that's the truth. But the, uh, the good thing is is that sometimes you have to go too, too far to know you went too far, and that's okay because all you do then is back off, and the horse can set its nervous system. So you just give it a little time. When the horse starts to, uh, to get there in the sympathetic nervous system, when you get after them after that, you just send them higher and higher up the, up the chain where they start to panic. And uh, 
no human can learn in the classroom if they're scared and if they're panicking. And the same with a, the same goes for a, a horse. They're just looking for a way out. And so instead of stay after them, when you start to recognize you went too far, just back on off, and they'll reset. You might just let them go around the round pen two or three more times on their own, and they're not going to keep that up. They're just going to slow down and eventually breathe and come back to you. And, and that's kind of what you want to do. I think we get in a big hurry. You know, a lot of trainers who are now moving in this direction say, you know, that's what I didn't do. I just did not appreciate what a good tool that pause is. I think I have to do something. I have to do something. I have to do something. And really, it's teach the horse a little something and then back off and let him process it. And I'll tell you how Martin kind of got a got. He said, you know, I'm so focused on being on being efficient that it was almost hard for me to build in these pauses. But what he started to do is instead of take one horse and put an hour in with that horse, he take in four or five horses into the round pen. So they're all together in a herd, so they're feeling good because they got their buddies around them, so they're feeling safer. You'd work with one for 10 minutes, then stop and let that horse process, work with another for 10 minutes, work with another for 15 minutes. And he said that those horses that got 15 minutes and then were allowed to sort of rest and process were farther along than a horse that he spent an entire hour with. It does make some sense, and, and once we apply that, you know, it seems to, to work as well. I know that uh, the Newberts, Brian Newbert and his sons, uh, also work with Joe Walter in a similar fashion. Sometimes they'll just put a lot of horses all together and then work one and just move to the next and move to the next. And they've had some pretty decent results. Is there a lot of variation from horse to horse? There, there is. Just like there are nervous humans and calm humans, there's going to be variation in your horse. So that's where you have to come in with the ability to read your horse and observe what you're, what you're seeing. You know, a big draft horse is going to be docile. You know, maybe an Arab is going to be pretty high strung. But nonetheless, they all have brains and they all have nervous systems. And, and then you throw the human in on top of that because the horse is picking up off the human as well. So that old saying that calm cowboys have calm horses and uh, nervous cowboys have nervous horses, there may be a reason for that. Well, Dr. Peters, it's time for us to take a couple of minutes and hear from the people who make the program possible. But let's do that, and we'll come back with more from Dr. Peters in just a moment. You're listening to the Horseman's Corner. Bunkhouse Trailer Sales has a large inventory of big bed trailers that handle the tough jobs like they should with features that every cattleman can appreciate. But they're doing it from a new location that's at Steve's Truck and Equipment between Scottsbluff and Mitchell in the Nebraska Panhandle. If you can't stop by, give them a call at 308-623-9955 or check them out at BunkhouseTrailerSales.com. BunkhouseTrailerSales.com for your next stock or horse trailer, including the tough, practical, cattleman-friendly Big Ben trailers. And you can also find them at HorsemansCorner.com. And if you miss any of the segments of the Horseman Corner, you can always get them by going to HorsemansCorner.com. We have over 400 episodes that are archived on the Horseman's Corner, including some of the really interesting folks in the world of horses. So if you get a chance, go to horsemanscorner.com, and a good place for you to advertise, a good place for you to find information about horses, horsemanscorner.com. 
We're back on the Horseman's Corner. I'm Howard Hale, host of the show. This is the second segment of today's program. Let's continue with Dr. Steve Peters. If there's a lot of variation from horse to horse, then you can't have really a cookie-cutter approach, can you? You really can't. You really can't. Some people learn well by reading a book, and some people by watching a DVD, and some people by hands-on. And so some of those things, and and uh, if you... You buy into a program, and that's why I'm glad you asked me right off the bat. You said, well, what is this program all about? Really, we're just, we're just using science. Uh, so science, it, anybody can be involved. It's a big umbrella. We, we're not so being one school against another and saying, hey, we disagree with what you're doing and what you're doing. It's just evidence that we, we're, we're putting out there. But if you use that A, B, C, D, E, F, you know, actually, neurologically, what we're finding under the microscope is that if you teach a horse task A and then task B and then task C, almost like these circus horses that seem amazing and they can do one thing after another, really what you're doing is you're creating just one road that they can follow. Then what happens if you take that horse out of the arena and go on a trail ride? They come apart. They're all over the place. Why? Because they haven't been exposed to a lot of stuff. And some horses, we may have to go to A, and then A1, and A2, and maybe to C, and then back to B. So you're right. And it takes more effort. you got to use your brain a lot more, like any good teacher would in the classroom. You're going to have some students that are different than others, and you're going to have to slow down for some, give, make others more challenged. And that really comes down to the art of how, how much of a teacher do you really want to be with your horse. But the good thing is, is that... If you can figure this out, we know you're growing a bigger brain in your horse. This is what Martin calls special forces horses. He says he's got a few that when, you know, they get outside that nervous, he stops, lets them come back down, lets them process, and then exposes them to lots of things. And here's something I want to bring up is, is we've had this word desensitization. And that's not necessarily a good word. When you're flooding the horse, when you're just like one thing after another after another, because the horse will will check out and they looks they may look calm to you from the outside, but in the inside they have all kinds of stress hormones running through them and they'll just kind of check out. So somebody once said, "Well, I want to desensitize my horse because I want him to ignore everything around me." Really, what Martin and I have come to the conclusion is. We want the horse to be aware of everything around them, just not feeling like they have to react. They need to be aware that there's a horse on the other side. They need to be aware of that dog running through the pasture. They need to be aware of everything around them, but feeling safe enough where they don't have to react. And and you're much better off on that kind of horse. They can figure out problems on their own, much like, uh, like Tom Dorrance used to say, you know, I'm going to set this up so my horse has to solve the problem. That builds a bigger brain than making your horse do things. It should be a constant conversation that you have with your horse, a back and forth, to get them to go along with things. And when you do that, they stay within a certain frame of their their nervous system, and they become much more adaptable and less likely to, to go to that fight or flight area. We don't want them going there. Can you have a situation where a horse is so checked out that he looks calm on the outside, but really when something new comes up, he just explodes? They absolutely can. You can see some of those little telltale signs. And I've learned from 
field research. By that, I mean getting bucked off enough times where you you look at that horse, and yeah, you flooded them, and they've never, I mean, it's just like shock. They just check out on you, and they get this, like, dead eye, glassy eye, and you just keep after them. And, but inside, they're just a nervous wreck, and they might hold that for a while. But you can see, like, those little tendons that tighten in their jaw, you know, if you get an eye for for that, and their head just doesn't quite come down below their withers. Also, they'll keep that mouth closed. There won't be much licking it. You know, those lips will be a little tight, but everything else might look good. Sometimes those horses are the kind that just a little something, and they'll explode. And, yeah, that's what people will say is that, holy mackerel, that came out of nowhere. I'll paint a, a picture of somehow, sometimes how this looks because your horse is always, in a way, asking you, am I safe? What I mean by that, let's say I go out and I just walk around the pasture and my horse comes over, check me out, and I scratch on him a bit. And then I put the halter on and we walk out through a narrow gate and he stops for a minute. So I stop for a minute and just let him breathe. And then we walk through. We go on over to the trailer. I let him graze next to the trailer and then I'll, you know, I tie him up. And uh, they may raise their head and look around and they go back to grazing. You know, I show them the saddle pad for a minute put that on, put the saddle on. We walk around slowly. I let them stop and sniff the trailer, put their head down for a minute, then step on, and off we go for our trail ride. And everything is great. A week later, let's say, my friends call me, and I'm late for meeting them for a trail ride. And I get a bill that I thought I paid that I look at in my mail, so I've already got an attitude. I go marching out there into the, the pasture, and my horse is is feeling that the whole way. So it's asking, am I going to be safe here? But we're telling it, no, you're not. I'm marching out like a predator after you. We now can't catch our horse that easy. We finally get the halter on. We bring them to the, the gate. They, they pause for a minute and like say, oh, no, wait a second. But we yank them right through there. They're still getting jittery now. We tie them to the, the trailer. We, we're hustling with a saddle pad. Now they're jigging all back and forth. They keep asking us, hey, hold on, am I safe here? And what we keep doing is pouring this chemical, epinephrine. It's like gasoline. We just keep, every time they ask, we just keep pouring it on, pouring it on, pouring it on. We drive out there. We, we rush off, and our horse sees a little boulder on the side of the path, and it bolts and starts to bucking and rearing. We say, you've, you idiot, you've, you've ridden past this boulder a hundred times. What's wrong with you? Well, what's wrong is it rode past that boulder, when it, it was calm and relaxed, when we got them all juiced up on the wrong chemicals and we run them past, they blow up on us. And so that's, that's exactly like what you're saying, is that it might look okay on the outside. And we may have done something, but it's the same with you. You know, if you went to a scary movie at night and then you're walking home through a dark alley and I jump out and say, boo, you're pretty well set up. Jump out of your boots because you're in that framework, mental framework. So just being aware of how our horses are taking things in. I have a friend, Wes Taylor, and what he says is, I go slow with my horses so I can go fast, meaning he slows down enough for his horses to process these things so that he makes actually faster progress than he would if he just kept after them continually. Because then the problem doesn't go away. You just got to deal with it every day. I had one horseman that I interviewed that said, you don't desensitize, you're familiarized. Does that make sense? That's a good way of putting it. That really is a, a good way of putting it because... Like I said, everything's a threat unless proven otherwise. So if you familiarize them with things, 
then they can put that aside and they don't have to worry about it. But if we don't do that, their attention is always, you know, if I took a, a rag doll and I threw into the round pen, until that horse can actually go over there and put its vibrisi, the whiskers, to explore on that, on that object and, and see that it's not harmful, then I'm going to have to deal with that horse continually to cock its head and looking back over at that rag doll because that'll be foremost in its mind. So if I can familiarize my horse with things, yeah, and the more things the better because then they just they learn to find their own comfort zone. We show it to them at first, but after a while, Martin's special forces horses, they've learned that they, it's portable. They can carry this comfort level with them, and when they get out of sorts, they can quickly down-regulate to back where they were. And he's got some horses. He said, you know what? I don't know what it would take now to make my horse panic out of control. These horses now, they just, they may be stirred up for a minute, but then they can reset themselves. And, you know, a point to make is we're not talking about taking the life out of the horse. The difference is, let's say you see some barrel racing horses that may be really good. They walk out calm and comfortable. Then it's time to go, and they run through their routine, and then they come back, and they turn it off, and they're calm and they're comfortable again. And then you see these other ones that are so juiced up. I don't know how parents tie that poor little girl on like a monkey, and off she goes through the whole thing, and then everybody has to calm that horse down afterwards. So I've been asked to speak at racetracks because people have started to learn that a relaxed horse is actually a faster horse than a tense, anxious horse because the muscles don't bunch up as much. And sprinters as well, you know, those guys that really run fast, you know, they're actually relaxed and they're just taking these nice strides one after another. I think we, we do everybody a, a, a service by, by the rider being able to be comfortable and the, and the horse being able to be comfortable. And the more you can get in harmony and that synchrony going, then you're not in your horse's way. Then you guys are talking the same language. And that's kind of what we're hoping to do. Okay, Steve, this looks like this would be a good time to take a break and hear from the folks that make the program possible. But you folks stay tuned. Going to have a lot more from Dr. Steve Peters in just a moment. You're listening to the Horseman's Corner. Welcome back to the Horseman's Corner. Let's continue with Dr. Steve Peters. Does that horse have to look to you as the leader of the herd? Not really, because they know better than that. You know, it's that's one way that, that you know that people have for, for years have talked about uh, about this. And the funny thing is, is there's different kinds of leaders. Um, there may be that broodmare that, that rules the roost around all the, the horses in the pasture, but, you know, you take that broodmare away from its everybody else, and it gets anxious and nervous, and it... Its identity is back taking care of the herd, and they're all, they're all over the place. So a horse knows that we're not a horse. They know we're a predator. Really what we're looking for is more of a, a relationship than, than leadership. Leadership, yeah, in terms of you, you have to be the director. And I think that may be a better term is that, you know, people think we have to teach so much to a horse. Horses know how already how to trot how to gallop, how to side pass. They know how to do all that stuff. They can already do it. All we're doing is directing that energy. So if we can get a, a conversation going, we're much better off to direct that 
problem with saying you're a leader is if you get too authoritarian, then you're going to bring up some fight and some self-preservation. And that's what you don't want to do, because then then you're having to create problems where there aren't problems necessarily. So you could call it that, but, but probably uh, a teacher might be a better word for it, a, a good teacher. You'll hear a lot of people say that uh, that horse has to look to you as a leader, and so it's interesting to see uh, hear you say that uh, that's not necessarily the case. In some ways, a horse gets a bad reputation when when you do that. What I mean by that is, you know, there's this word respect and disrespect. Well, those are human terms, and you need a lot of frontal lobe to actually understand that concept of respect and disrespect. What's happening is either something in your communication is telling that horse that it's okay to step into your space, in which case you've got to become more clear in your communication, or you're teaching your horse to step into your space. The problem with calling it disrespectful is now you have justification for punishment. And really, there's not a real role for punishment in there. That's just going to create more problems for you. Oftentimes, we just have to come back and say, all right, how can I be clear here? How can I set a boundary? How can I be clear in my communication? People want to blame the horse, but a horse is just being a horse. Really, what we want to do is is not be confusing, because when we're confusing to them, they start heading up that sympathetic nervous system, and they start to get riled, and they start to get nervous. Because we, we got them confused. So you have to back away and say, okay, I need a different approach here. It takes a little more effort to think it through. But horsemanship, I think, is a really mental thing, good horsemanship. And if your horse is speaking French and you're speaking American, screaming in American is not going to help that horse understand. Just staying patient with it and coming back and saying, okay, let's try a different approach. And that's why that cookie cutter approach you were talking about, A, B, C, D, doesn't work with every horse. Some horses you have to say, you know what, just like you would with the put it, trying a different bit. Some horses like some others than others. You have to kind of say, well, let me try this approach then with, with you. And uh, I think everybody wants to have a good working relationship and a good communication going with their, their horse. Uh, I think understanding how the horse's brain works helps to get us there. Is a Mustang different maybe from a draft horse in the way they look at things? Not really, except that Mustang has had more opportunity. I mean, if they're out on on the loose, uh, uh, finding the water hole, avoiding predators, being on different terrain and being able to navigate different terrain. So in some ways, they may even have have built brains that are a little bit more self-sufficient than that domestic horse. And, and the big thing then is just working hard to convince them that they're safe. Once they do that, you know, they can be really good horses to work on. The nice thing about working with a draft horse, and I wish people, you know, now that people are are getting heavier, I don't want to criticize anybody, but sometimes I hate seeing a 280-pound guy riding a little pony, cow pony and his legs just buckling underneath. If you're not going to be in a big competition, to start using some some draft crosses just so you get, you know, that nice, docile personality, but still able to... A lot of people that come into horsemanship, I think what they bring with them is they're not congruent in their emotions. Here's what I mean by that, is that they might be afraid, but they're just not going to 
play into it. And I think you can think you're going to fake it till you make it, but those horses pick up on that. And, you know, a lot of people are coming back new to horsemanship, especially women, women in the 50 to 60 age range who may have had a pony and now they, as a kid, now say, you know, now we're settled, et cetera. I think I want to get back into this. But they're really afraid. I think that uh, getting those calmer horses and then just really working a lot on the communication will go a long way in, in building the horse's confidence and the person's confidence. You spoke earlier about uh, we don't want to be speaking English when the horse understands French or vice versa. But what language does the horse speak? How do we learn the horse's language? Because that's got what we have to have to communicate with them. That's an excellent point. In all the horse brains that I've dissected, I've learned that horses are largely motor sensory creatures. They sense something and then they have a motor pattern that goes along with that. So if that's the case, we, we really have to be aware of what they're sensing and where we are in our body posture and and in our placement around them. That helps as well, because sometimes you get in the horse's way of doing something. You know, you're, you're sitting on that shoulder, you're in the way of, of your horse, and it feels uncomfortable, and then they start to get anxious. So I think just starting to get really, really aware at a level of how do my horses react to me when I move around them, because they're picking up movement all the time. And then they're sensory, so... I think Ray Hunt and those guys, when they were talking about, you know, what's the least you can do, right, to get your job done, is just realizing, man, they can sense the slightest thing, and that's the language we speak to them in. You know, in touch, in where we stand, and in our emotions. I don't know if any of your listeners might have ever heard of the horse Clever Haunts. If not, I tell them to go look that up. But this was a horse that uh, the owner said that the horse was the smartest horse ever and that it could count. And this is long ago in Germany. So all these college professors and all these people came around, horse experts, and watched. And sure enough, he would, he would give them a math problem, and the horse would scratch out on the ground the number of scratches for the correct answer. What they discovered was Clever Hans was looking at the body language of the owner. And so he either slowed down in his breathing or... He sighed, or, and he didn't do this on purpose because they got somebody else to do it as well. At first, the horse couldn't figure it out, but it didn't take long before the horse was actually coming up with right answers for this other person. So once they discovered this, they, it was a huge scandal. Oh, man, this is a fraud, etc. But people missed the point. The point was this horse was so sensitive, it was actually reading the breathing patterns and the, and the movement of the people asking the question. It wasn't figuring out a math problem. It was communicating in this motor sensory way. I think we get in trouble when we think the horse has a human brain. If you're trying to put one over on us, that uh, they know better, that, uh, that they shouldn't do this or they shouldn't do that, when really they're just doing what they do. And if you can figure this out, this, this motor sensory pattern, and if you go too far, just let them reset. It, once you get them familiarized, once you get them in that, that comfort zone and they realize that comfort zone is portable, Martin and I have done some work with cattle as well. We're taking a look at that, how they're herd animals. But what typically happens is a lot of cowboys will hoot and holler, 
They make the herd the worst place to be. So then they think the herd is where all the danger is, and they start trying to dart back and get back to where they felt safest last. But if you kind of just, like Bud Williams used to do, walk back and forth behind them and get them moving along, and they're all comfortable, and they just kind of flow like liquid. They all get together. You put them in the new pasture. You wait with them for a while. And if you wait with them, they start to calm down, and then they, they, they break apart and you know, they stop bawling and they calm down, and then you leave, you'll find those horses, those that cattle will learn, hey, being with the herd is a good thing, and also I'm comfortable in this pasture as well as the one before. Because if you don't do that and you ram and jam them and slam the gate, they're just going to walk down that fence line back and forth and wear it down and try to break through the fence and get back to where they they were before. So in the same way, if you can take the time to allow your horse, by take the time, I mean this. Let's say you come to your first water crossing and you're riding with some friends and they could say, well, man, come on, spur that horse across, get that horse across there. And you can do that, but you've done that by making that whole experience unpleasant for the horse. They're not going to feel that much better when they come back again the next time. Or what you can do is say, hey, fellas, ride ahead. You know, we got a little teaching lesson to go here. Let that horse put its head down because it has binocular vision. It's just looking for depth. Let it splash its hoof around for a moment. I'm not saying let it turn away from that. You know, keep it pointed up and let it process the whole thing. Because by the time you come back around again, they're much better the next day. And pretty soon that water crossing is nothing. So what the horse has learned is that this guy is going to give me time. And this is portable. Whenever I run into a little obstacle... We're going to have time to figure it out. They're in a much better frame of mind than those horses that we used a winch and butt ropes and 20 people to to get your horse onto the trailer. Hell, I don't want to go get that horse to try to load the second time around after experience like that. I think if I I was going to leave your listeners with anything, it's the greatest tool that you have is allowing your horse time to process. Let's take our last break of the day, but come back with more in a moment. You're listening to The Horseman's Corner. When you get a chance to visit one of the websites that we produce at Hale Broadcasting and Hale Multimedia, that's agsearch.us, harvestusareport.com, horsemanscorner.com, and cattlemanscorner.com, all dedicated to agriculture. Great place for you to advertise if you have a business that's involved with agriculture, and a great place for you to go if you're looking for agricultural products. Horsemanscorner.com, agsearch.us, harvestusareport.com, and cattlemanscorner.com. Visit today. Bunkhouse Trailer Sales has a large inventory of big bedding trailers that handle the tough jobs like they should with features that every cattleman can appreciate, but they're doing it from a new location that's at Steve's Truck and Equipment between Scotts Bluff and Mitchell in the Nebraska Panhandle. If you can't stop by, give them a call at 308-623-9955 or check them out at bunkhousetrailersales.com. BunkhouseTrailerSales.com for your next stock or horse trailer, including the tough, practical, cattleman-friendly Big Ben trailers. Good to have you back with us on the Horseman's Corner. I'm Howard Hale, host of the program, and here's the final segment of today's show with Dr. Steve Peters. It's tough to know how much time you should give them, isn't it? Well, yeah. Your horse will tell you. Um, Because sometimes I'll get some engineers, and they'll say, well, let me write this down in my notebook. How much time do I wait? 1.5 minutes? Two minutes. Here's what Martin says: that 
if his horse has kind of gone through an iffy situation and come out on the other side okay, he can make it a good situation by just allowing time. And what he'll do, he'll just take out his, his cell phone at that point in time and just make some calls and just l- look for as much licking and chewing as we can see. What does licking and chewing mean? Really, I don't want to get too technical, but there's a nerve, the ninth cranial nerve, and its only job is, is to activate the salivary glands when the horse drops down into what's called a parasympathetic nervous system, rest and digest. That's what you wait for. You wait until you got that horse dropping its head below the withers and starting to lick and chew. When they start to do that, let it. what Martin says, when you think you waited long enough, then wait longer. You know, and I got a friend who, who, who trains nothing but Mustangs, and what he says is his neighbors drive by and say, why do they even pay that guy? He just stands around staring at his horses all the time. But his horses are really, really good. And I think that talk, we chuckle because people are paying them to work their horses. So they want to see those horses ridden and see those horses moving. What he tells them is, you know, the proof's in the pudding. And I tell everybody as well, don't, don't believe me. Go ask your horse. Go take this approach and just ask your horse and see what happens. Does size mean anything to a horse? You know, sometimes I like to start a horse, you know, and I'm not a trainer. I'm a scientist. But sometimes I'll get my biggest horse and uh, use that horse so I don't have to be the one providing the, the pressure. So when I'm starting a horse, I might uh, start him in the round pen by horseback by a bigger horse and just let that horse move and know that the other horse can't really resist that as much. And if it feels resistance, it's really getting it from the other horse and not from me. And I find that kind of sometimes works. So size works in that kind of environment. Well, it's interesting. My wife is my wife is four uh, ten, weighs about uh, oh eighty five to ninety pounds, and uh, she had a filly that she really liked, and and we fed some horses together, and the older horses were uh, taking the food away from her. She said, uh, why don't you do something? I said, well, it's your, you're the one that likes the filly. You do something. She said, what should I do? I said, do what you do best at, hun. Just look grumpy as heck. Interestingly enough, she went out there with the filly, stand by the filly. The other mares had come around, and she'd look, just look at them and point at them. And she was a teacher. She could look grumpy. They'd back off. So evidently, they were reading... Like clever Hans, they were reading her uh, body language. Absolutely. In that regard, to the person, size does not matter at all. In fact, some women are just much better at this than, than others because young guys get their testosterone up and they want to use the warrior approach and by dang, I'll make you do it. And uh, I think sometimes women can be more effective. I'm not talking about the nurturing type of behavior where you don't want to get your horse upset and you don't want to do anything. But I'm talking about just in, in plain communication. But you can't go out there and be scared and try to get fool the horse by, by stiffening up your back and acting tough, you know. But you're still a predator, and they know that. They never forget that. And if you get your hackles up, they'll take notice. So, yeah, you can be four foot five and... 95 pounds and still uh, be really effective in your communication with your horse because you don't have to punish them. You don't have to punish them. You just have to get the message across. You know, when you watch the horses in the herd once in a while to 
get their point across. The horse does whatever it takes. If it if it takes a just a movement of the head or a nip or maybe even a kick, but then they don't keep it up. They don't. In other words, I guess there's is there anything wrong with thumping the horse if you need to, but don't beat them. Is is that a good statement? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can move your horse by, you know, and then you can practice with that and say, well, what's the least I can do to move that horse? But I'm not saying, you know, no, don't uh, ever get in there and move your horses around by pushing this horse over or or that horse. Yeah, and they're not holding a grudge. You watch, it's built in. They sort it out out there because that would not be a good deal. If every day they're getting in fights, they get injured, they use up all their calories. <laughs> you know, so you're right. Sometimes it's the look of the eye. Sometimes it's, you know, the ears pinned back. Maybe they bare their teeth. That's all it takes for the most part. And they might need to kick or something at one point in time, but then everybody's nervous system settles back down, and, uh, and there you go. It doesn't hurt to get their attention when they're not giving it to you. And then just practice with what little bit. Maybe it's just wiggling the lead line is enough to get their attention, you know? So you just kind of go from there. And that's that's the skill and the art of being a good horseman, I think, is, you know, what little bit you can do to get your message across, not how you can manhandle some horse, right? I think it would be kind of tough to manhandle something that outweighs you by 1,000 pounds. Yeah, it's not a... It's not a like Ray Hunt said, you don't want to get into a contest and teach them that there's a contest because ultimately you can't win that one. No, it it's 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 really tough for me to outmuscle a horse that does outweigh me by a thousand pounds. It's just not. Yeah, it's just not going to work. What's next on your agenda? Where are you going from here? I have a website, horsebrainscience.info. Uh, there's also evidencebasedhorsemanship.com. And what Martin and I are doing now, we're working on some virtual clinics. You know, this whole COVID thing has had us housebound. So uh, what we do is uh, we've had listeners send in clips, film clips of their horses. <clears throat> and so we kind of discuss those, but coming out of the same approach that you and I have been talking about, about here and and you know we've found that that we've reached more people and developed more interest just in that kind of format i don't think anybody's real eager to go hop on an airplane and fly somewhere so our next virtual clinic i think is on the 26th and you get to that by martinblack.net and we're also he and i we're looking at now uh low stress cattle handling so evidence-based stockmanship and how you can use your horse and read cattle, uh, because horses know how to rate and how to move, and uh, et cetera. And, and you can do this all without getting your horse and your cattle all upset, busting up your, your you know, your panels, uh, screaming and yelling. You know, you can do this all really calmly and efficiently. So we're studying the the, the nervous system of cattle as well as horses, and then that interaction, and then you throw the human interaction in on top of that. Uh, but uh, we're going to be talking to some cattlemen and ranchers and et cetera on how they can do both, how they can go back to using the horse in, the, in their cattle operation and how they can keep it really low stress. Well, that's that ought to be interesting. Now, 
are what's what's the charge for these virtual uh, events that you have? I think Martin is charging something like he can sit on the fence and just listen in. So that's like fifteen or twenty dollars, I think, and then you can send in a, a you know a video clip, uh, or you can you know ask to ask some questions, and then that that's up a little more. And I think if you, the highest price is uh, is a hundred bucks for the virtual clinic, and it runs for two hours. Two hours? Yeah, it runs for two hours, and we do it twice. We do it once early in the morning and once at night, so everybody gets a. A chance, and basically, what you get is Martin and I live, and so we just hold a discussion with you, and we answer your questions, and we all, everybody looks at these clips, film clips together, and we kind of analyze them um, with people that are struggling with their horses, and uh, we've done two or three already, and they all seem to sell out pretty quick. That's uh, that's interesting when you say sell out. Uh, uh, gosh. To audit that, it's virtually limitless number of people you could have. Yeah, you would think. Um, uh, and I'm not sure exactly why they they sell out the numbers, because you, you're right. You know, if you're auditing, but uh, I'm not sure if it has something to do with that. That's more an IT question, I think. That's beyond my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> you're... you're, you're uh... The horse's brain is what you're interested in, not the uh, IT brain. Right. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to add that I haven't asked you about? You know, I I just think there's enough people out there that we're kind of getting a wave going where, you know, people are starting to wonder, well, I could do it this way, but what's in the best interest of my horse? And uh, so I, I think just I tell people, be critical, you know, if it doesn't work, we wouldn't want you to do it. With everything out there, just, you know, ask your horse, because your horse is the ultimate judge. If it doesn't work, don't do it. Right? Try another approach. And just be flexible, because I would tell everybody out there, you're a scientist, whether you think so or not. You're always experimenting with your horse. Your horse is different than all the other horses. So you've got to kind of, kind of give some give and take and figure things out on your own. But it's all good data, because then you can put that in your toolbox and you got that for the next horse and the next horse. You know, I'm a little ashamed sometimes of some of those horses way back long ago that I thought I was doing right by, by just the knowledge I have now. But everything is just uh, knowledge growing on knowledge. So I tell people, be open-minded and, and uh, don't be afraid to experiment. Isn't the best interest of the horse actually the best interest of the human as well? You know it is, Absolutely. You, you couldn't have said it better. Well, we've run out of time, but gosh, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me. This has been a lot of fun. Well, I appreciate being on your show, and I had a lot of fun, too. So uh, hopefully your listeners were able to pick up something from this. Dr. Steve Peters, a really interesting individual to talk to with some great information for people who are interested in horses. And he's just one of the many that we have on Horseman's Corner. As uh, time goes on, you'll hear more from some really good horsemen and some really good uh, programs that have to do with horses and some events that are geared for horse people. So those are some of the things that will be coming up in the future. I know one of them that will be coming up in the future is Mindy Bauer at the old ranch at Simula, Colorado with some interesting thoughts about what should be done and how you should proceed if you're looking for a horse and 
going out there to buy one. Some of the steps that you should take. So that's all coming down the pike on Horseman's Corner. Looks like it is just about time to close the program out. And it's always good to have you folks along with us. Hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy doing it. So with that said, I'll say goodbye. May God bless. See you next week. Same time, same place.